Alright guys, I'm producer Ben and today we'll be picking up where Craig left off in yesterday's Manly Musings. So without further ado, here is Master Craig with part two of this week's Manly Musings. Hey everybody, this is Craig Cottle. Welcome back to part two of our podcast. Part one of two or part two of two of our podcast on hunting. It's that time of year, you all. I hope you listen to part one. If you haven't listened to part one, then go back and listen to it first because I set the foundation for what we're discussing today, which is hunting and how it relates to what it is that we're doing. I think I made a good, I don't know what you want to uh, call it, maybe a sales pitch or a, or a recommendation to become a hunter in part one. If you did not listen to that, go back and listen to that. That's the beginning of part one. We hope you enjoyed it. But today, we're going to dig right back into the topic, and we're going to go into bows. Today, yesterday, again, if you weren't here, we talked about rifles and shotguns. We talked about uh, the different types of animals you might want to hunt. Uh, I actually talked about how to determine the good species to hunt first. And so you can take it from there. Uh, lots of lots of information there, including conservation stewardship considerations and all the things that go along with it there. But bows, bows, bows is the topic today. We're going to talk about several things when it comes to bows. Uh, there's not a type of bow that I have not shot. Uh, I've shot them all, and I own them all, and I love shooting bows, and I've got some recommendations for you. So bows are basically any device that's going to take a projectile that is an arrow, which is a shaft that has a point on the end of it, and usually throw that off of a string in some way, shape, or form. And then you hopefully that that projectile is going to go towards the animal that you're hunting and make its mark. Okay, hit its mark and you can kill an animal as quickly and as efficiently as you can with a bow. So the different types of bows, compound bows is the one that just seems like there's just tons of them out there anymore. Compound bows are the bows that have pulleys and cables and strings and what's called let off and all the things that go along with it, which is really cool, uh, simple physics that is a beautiful thing for us that like to hunt. So the thing to keep in mind with compound bows is that you can get into a lot of money really quick with a compound bow, but here's why they are valuable. Pure and simple, unless you're doing a lot of weightlift training, it's hard to pull a bow back. Uh, you need something you definitely need to practice. It's definitely something you need to do some strength training to pull back a bow. But what happens with a bow, dependent upon the manufacturer, when you pull that bow back, because of the pulley system, the way it's built and manufactured and engineered, it lets off a lot of that pressure just by simple physics. And the cams and the pulleys and all that allow that to happen. So when you pull that compound back to full draw, it's not going to start off, or I mean, it's not going to be at the same weight that you start off with. So let's say you have a 60 pound pull on a bow, on a compound bow, depending on the manufacturer. When that comes off, it might go off and be only half, like you're only holding 30 pounds back. And so that is incredibly valuable when it comes to pulling that bow back and holding it back. The next type of bow I wanted to get into was crossbows. Crossbows are basically a weapon that have been around for the ages. but And actually bow and arrows have been around for, for a long time, very long time. Otzi, if you recall, I talked about Otzi um, 
in the previous podcast on gear. And in that podcast, I talked about him having bow material. What was that, 3500 BC or something like that? So that's incredible history. But crossbows are the bow that looks a lot like a gun, except it's got a bow on the end of it that's laying perpendicular to the actual gun, if you will. And so you pull that bow back. They usually come with a lot of pounds of pressure. But it's the engineering of it that when you pull it back, there's a small mechanism that holds the string back. Then you put the arrow into the device, and it sits there. Now, arrows in a, in a crossbow are called bolts, B-O-L-T-S, bolts. And so uh, I don't know why. Never figured that one out. But they don't knock on the string like a regular compound or recurve bow or something of that nature. And so what you have is basically a good bridge between those of you who might be used to utilizing a gun but want to take advantage of some of the bow seasons and get yourself a crossbow. Now, make sure, and I haven't made this clear, if you want to begin hunting, the, one of the first stops you should make is to get a booklet or check out the website of your state and your local areas and see what the laws and regulations are. Because I know some states do not allow crossbows to be utilized in regular bow season. There's only special seasons for crossbows because they're basically a daggone gun. You know, a good friend of mine, Donnie Gibbs, uh, he was on our podcast. Whew, man, it's been two or three months ago. You might remember the podcast for the Survival Show podcast on cybersecurity, which is one of the most educational and enlightening po podcasts that we've done. Donnie gave me a crossbow that he was just simply not using. I have had an absolute blast with that thing, shooting that thing. It has been a lot of fun. And when I say fun, say fun, right? Just shooting it the way it's supposed to be shot. But man, oh man, that thing is accurate and fast. Very easy to use. Next on the list of bows are recurve bows. Recurve bows are those bows that instead of looking like a, a really fat U, it's got the little extra curve at the end of it that recurves back around the other way. And basically what that is supposed to do is provide some more velocity for the arrow because of that recurve pulls more pressure back. And I don't understand the physics. I'm not a mechanical engineer. I don't understand it. I just know that a recurve is supposed to have uh, for the same size bow, same string, and all the things that go along with it, a little bit more power than your typical longbow, which I'm going to discuss next. But recurves is what I shot for years. When I'm shooting a bow, other than that crossbow, that uh, I have now, which I've never hunted with it. I've just target shot with the crossbow. I, I shoot recurves. Now, the reason I don't is that it, the, the ability to shoot it accurately dwindles quickly when you're not practicing regularly. So it's one of those tools that you want to practice with a lot to be able to function and utilize it properly. And so uh, because I cannot make the time, and it is that. It's not that I, I just can't. It's just I'm not making the time because I don't have as much interest as I used to in utilizing my recurve. When I say a lot of time, I'm talking, I used to shoot an hour a day, every day, to be deadly accurate with my recurve. And I just cannot find the ability to find that time at this point. So uh, I don't engage in bow hunting in that regard anymore. Now the last is longbows. Longbows are a bit more primitive in their making than let's say a recurve, because it's, it's basically no recurve on it. It's just a straight bow that looks like the big fat U with the string on it. And uh, I've made longbows from uh, just material found in the woods, obviously. Uh, Osage Orange for one. 
but it's one of those things you can make survival bows rather quickly. It's not that hard to do. And if you want to get more skilled and technical, you can back them with snake skin or animal skin or other types of wood and laminate them together and all number of other things that you can do by building bows. So that's something that you can consider as well. That'll help you get more traditional, you know, step back into history a little bit more, uh, get more in contact with those that are in your family lineage and family chain and all the family history and all the things that go along with it. Because those longbows are, man, they're fun to shoot. They are absolutely fun to shoot. Now, what I thought I'd do is I'll go ahead and get into this chart. And we'll look at each, of these, each one of these animals individually and then see where that can take us on time and see what we can do from there. First one on the list is bear. I personally have never hunted bear, but I have been in the good company of several good bear hunters. And I actually wrote them when I was writing this book and said, what do you recommend? Here's what they recommend. Number one, get a rifle. And then possibly a bow. Okay, you don't want to start off with a bow because you've got to be really good with them. Uh, but they, they suggested a rifle of a 308 in size or bigger. And as far as helpful hints, one of the things to keep in mind is knowing where their food sources are and hunt near those. That's really important. Now, a lot of states either allow or disallow you to put out bait for animals. Uh, it seems that, or it seems like from YouTube at least, that a lot of people hunt over bait for bears. I don't really know the reasoning for that. I don't know if that's just the YouTube people that I'm seeing. But um, with that said, it's just one of them things that that uh, uh, is interesting. No, just know where their food sources are and hunt over top of them. Next on the list is white-tailed deer. Uh, again, I'd recommend a rifle or a bow. As far as a weapon size to start off with, I'd recommend something about the size of a 243 or bigger. Uh, I've killed every kill that deer that I've killed with a rifle, I've killed with a 243. Uh, a lot of people say that it's a caliber that's not big enough to kill, uh, and they're just wrong. I'm sorry, but I've done a lot of it, and I've killed a lot of deer with a 243. Uh, I've killed them without any issues at all. And because of that, I can recommend it. It's, it's all about being able to shoot right. It's all about being able to hunt right. And it's not about being, see how cool you can be and shoot the longest. So some things to keep in mind for deer is they're more active at daybreak and sunset. So hunt during the mating hours in the fall because that's when deer kind of lose their mind. Uh, does are trying to either get serviced by the bucks or they're trying to run from the bucks and the bucks are just they're just wild during the mating season, which is referred to as the rut. So that's why we hunt uh, white-tailed deer in the fall. Next on the list is doves. These are not the cute little uh, white doves of peace that you see in the movies and whatnot. These are morning doves. Uh, best weapon, in my opinion, to get those is a shotgun. I've used a 20-gauge. Uh, I've seen a lot of people use a 12-gauge, but it just almost destroys too much meat. Uh, because there's so much, if you're a good shot, it de destroys a lot of the meat. So that's something to keep in mind. They are attracted to seed plants. And so if you have seed plants that are legal that you put out, you can utilize that to bring animals, the, these doves in, like sunflowers or something like that. But more often than not, we've had success here in Kentucky and on my dad's farm hunting them over natural foxtails. You know, dad will either put out wheat or foxtails or something of that nature comes up to as a cover source, um, a cover crop over areas that he's uh, plowed for rotation. And so because he's seeding those out for after the harvest has happened 
and that's the same time that the doves are coming through for migration, then oftentimes we'll get them in our fields and we can hunt them that way. Uh, elk are much like deer, basically the same thing. Mating season in the fall, active at daybreak and sunset. Recommendation there is 308 or bigger. Um, I don't know. I've never hunted elk. I've talked to several people that have. I've asked some recommendations, and that was a recommendation these guys made to me was a 308 or bigger. Grouse. A lot of people, when I say grouse, they don't even know what I'm talking about, but a grouse is is the roughed grouse, R-U-F-F-E-D. Uh, there's several different types. That's the rough grass that we have here in Kentucky, or that's the grass we have here in Kentucky is rough grass. But there's there's other types of grass throughout the country. Uh, but uh, I call them thunder chickens because they are a, a, a they're bigger than a small bird, not as big as a turkey kind of thing. And so uh, when you hunt them, they make so much noise when they come off the ground that uh, they're called thunder chicken, son. Man, I really love I love hunting hunting grouse. Pheasant is a bird similar to a grouse, although more often than not, it's in open fields rather than forest. And so both of those, uh, you'll probably want to hunt with a uh, pheasant with a 12-gauge. I've always hunted grouse with a 20-gauge without any issue at all. And so that's another uh, consideration. Grouse are incredibly fast and always good to use a bird dog when you have an opportunity with grouse and uh, pheasant. Quail is a much smaller bird than these two animals. And so 20 gauge is going to take care of quail all day long. I've got a sweet 16 and I've done a lot of quail hunting with. I've also hunted grouse with my 16 gauge. Man, I love that gun. That's a fun shooting gun. Um, quail oftentimes come up together in a covey. So if you're hunting, looking for, or looking for quail, you might hunt them and then you'll have six or seven come up. That's why it's good to have good gun safety with those that might be in your hunting party. And when they come up, everybody's in such a way that they can shoot a certain direction they know and they don't shoot one another. Uh, squirrel is a fan to squirrel and rabbits. Squirrel probably more so than rabbits, but squirrel is a great way to start teaching forest woodsmanship and teaching kids how to go about being better woodsmen and to know their way in the outdoors and be better at uh, spending time outside. You, they're not just cakewalk to go and get but they're not so difficult that you know a beginner can't get them but you do need to learn how to stalk you need to know some basics of camouflaging and i want to say camouflaging not necessarily the clothes but where you position yourself in relationship to squirrels and the trees they're in and things that go along with it rabbits are another small animal that are uh, fairly easy to kill um, when i say kill when you shoot them but man they're fast and they're hard to get on target so you've got to be a good shot to be able to do that, but man, rabbits are tasty. Um, man, I need to have a I need to have a podcast done on recipes for wild game because I'm sitting here getting hungry thinking about some of my recipes and I haven't even talked about them. Um, wild turkey is another thing that's gotten incredibly popular over the last 15, 20 years all over the country. And man, I am one of them. I am eat alive by turkey hunting. I love turkey hunting. Um, you've got to be a good woodsman. You've got to be able to stalk. You've got to be able to know topography. You've got to be able to understand mammal or tur turkey behavior. You've got to understand everything. Uh, if you hunt in the spring, that's their mating season. And so if you get good with calls, you can call in a gobbler, which is the male turkey. And uh, the female turkeys are called hens. And so uh, that's something that you should um definitely get with somebody to learn how to do or listen to somebody on YouTube or listen to a podcast uh, that goes into the different calls and how they work. I, I, maybe I'll do that sometime too because that's kind of fun. 
But um, last on the list for our purposes here today is ducks. Ducks is something that I've only hunted once, and I did not care for the duck meat that I ate, so I quit hunting. Uh, I just didn't care for it, and quite frankly, maybe I need to go back. I've eaten duck about four or five times, and I just haven't liked it. And so I've never engaged in hunting them because I just didn't care. I just didn't think I wanted to kill something if I, if I didn't enjoy uh, utilizing it as a food source. Um, Canadian geese the same way. I, I've tried. Uh, I've killed a few Canadian geese. I've tried to fix them several different ways, and I just cannot find a way to make that critter taste good for me. And it's just very unpalatable to me. But I know some people that just love that stuff. And so duck hunting is a fun activity. One of the cool things about duck hunting is uh, what little bit I have done. As far as camaraderie and hanging out with people, usually you can get a, in a duck blind. Sometimes in those duck blinds, they'll have heaters. Sometimes they cook food. I mean, you talk about a good time with family and friends and then doing some hunting and get some food for the table. Man, that's, that's good stuff right there now. That is some good stuff. So with that said, that's a listing of some of the animals that you can get engaged in starting your hunting. Uh, some overall general considerations is obviously study the laws and regulations wherever you find yourself so that you can also uh, become a lawful, what I refer to as a huntervationist. Um, fish and game departments, natural resource departments are always really good about uh helping people be good stewards of the land. That's why they have seasons. I'm a huge fan, a huge fan of following the law. And I am a huge fan of calling people out that don't and making a mockery of them. Uh, it is with good stewardship and conservation, which is a two-pronged effect. And that two-pronged effect includes hunters on one side and good biologists and fishing game personnel on the other side. So your game wardens, your fishing game officers, uh, conservation officers, they're called a, a, a latitude of different things throughout the country. Um, those guys are just, goes, guys and gals, are incredibly valuable to wildlife conservation and stewardship. And so uh, I'm a big fan of, of law-abiding citizens doing what they're supposed to do on their part of the conservation two-pronged effect. So that's it, you all. Man, I didn't know if I would get to podcast in the 15 to 20 minute range out of this material, but I certainly did, didn't I? Why should I doubt myself? Seems like it happens every time. But yeah, if you're interested, pick up my book, Ultimate Wilderness Gear. I think it's probably the most misunderstood book that I've written. Uh, it's, there should be a description for it down below. Uh, this book is not a buyer's guide. Hey, buy this sleeping bag. Look, this cool's it's got a new color. Basically, uh, Ultimate Wilderness Gear is a, a tool to help you decide what gear that you need. And let me tell you, that book was hard to write uh, because I've got to figure out ways to communicate how to pick the right sleeping bag for people that are bigger than me, smaller than me, people that live in different regions of the world than me. And so that's what I did when I put this book together. So pick it up. Man, it's a good book. I love it. Um, one of the things I talk about all the time and this is regarding this book is that, yeah, it's got all kinds of information about gear, but it's got a whole section on um, survival. It's got a section on historical giants. I did a couple podcasts on that recently, too. It comes from this book. I talk about cordage and all the different types of cordage you can get, how to choose the best axe. 
I mean, there's one simple thing that you should look at every time you pick up an axe, and if it looks a certain way, you should put it back down. And if it looks another way, you should pick it back up and keep it and never let go of it. You know, if you want to know what that is, then get this book because on page, let me find it because I just saw that. That is, oh man, I lost it here. Anyway, pick up Ultimate Wilderness Gear. What that's going to do for you. It's going to help you find and select gear that meets your needs. Not Craig Cottle's needs, your needs. And look on page 44 when you do. Because in that section, I talk about how to pick an axe. Man, there's so much stuff here. I love this book. I'm glad I wrote it. Very thankful that I wrote it. So with that said, thank you for joining us here at the Survival Show Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. I hope you've learned a lot from it. And as always, keep it simple, be positive, and stay sharp.